right, welcome back to Eat Lunch and Board Game. I'm your host, Adam Collins. Today we'll be looking at Carcassonne. Carcassonne came out in 2000 in Germany. It was designed by Klaus Jurgenwerder. I apologize if I butchered that name as bad as I think I did. It was published by Hans M. Gluck. Carcassonne won the coveted Spiel des Jahres in 2001. That's the German Game of the Year award. It's kind of like the Oscars for board games. It is currently being published by Z-Man Games here in the United States after originally being brought over by Rio Grande Games. That is actually a pretty interesting story in and of itself, but that's for a different time and maybe a different episode. Carcassonne's a tile lane game with some worker placement aspects to it. It is also credited as giving the world the meeple, which are your workers that you place on the tiles as you play. Depending on where they are played changes how they score. The game is two to five players out of the box. Takes less than an hour with a recommended age of eight and up. My son has been playing the game for years and he recently turned eight. To be fair, he took my tablet, hid behind the chair, and played the app for hours on end. Then he brought back my tablet to me to let me know that it had died and needed to be recharged. He got the hang of the game very quickly and he's a very strong opponent. As for the Board Game Geek stats, it holds a 7.4 rating with over 88,000 reviews and sits at 158th overall. Now, these numbers are a bit shocking as it does place the game above Catan. Rule clarity. The rules are simple. There are really only a few. Draw a tile, place that tile legally, and then place a meeple on one of the unclaimed features of that tile if you so choose. Then, score any closed features, and the next player goes. The six-page rule book clarifies a few things, but once you play the game a few times, two or three or a few hundred like I have, there's really no need to go back into the rule book. The rule book simply gives examples of what is valid and what is not. The time to explain it to newcomers. As you can tell from the rule clarity, the time to explain Carcassonne is very short. You can explain it as you go. There are a few minutiae that might come up along the way, but all in all, the game is very simple. By far, the hardest mechanic to understand is you can't claim something someone else is already in. Now, I know this sounds easy, but sometimes these fields get joined and twisted, and you might not notice that someone's already in the field. Even some of the castles can get a little large and hard to follow. Gameplay. I love Carcassonne for its simplicity in gameplay. It is simple to set up. First, and this is very important, find the starter tile. It's the one that has a different color back. It's the opposite of all the rest of them, where all the rest of them are light gray on dark gray. This was dark gray on light gray. If you tear down the game properly and set this tile off to the side, you will save countless minutes searching through the tiles trying to find this tile at the start of the next game. I love Carcassonne because of the depth of strategy that you can bring to the game. The game is really a balance of taking quick, easy points and then playing for the long game. It's knowing when to hold them, know when to fold them, right? What can you score quickly and get your meeple back right away? What should you take a risk on and try to expand? Where a meeple are placed does make a difference on how and when they score. They can be placed in a castle, on a road, in a field, or in a cloister or monastery. The object of the game is to close out your features so that you can get your meeple back to be placed again on a later turn. You can also make it harder on your opponents to close their features, or you can even make it impossible, trapping their meeple so they are stuck for the rest of the game in that spot and will not be of any benefit to them. 
Once you get familiar with the tile layouts, you start to know what it's available, how many of those tiles there are, and what is not even a tile combination possibility. The game ends when the last tile has been placed. Then the meeple on the board are scored and the highest score wins. The hardest part is tracing around all these fields to see who has the most farmers and how many completed. The hardest part is tracing around all the fields to see who has majority and how many closed castles each farm touches. Replayability. As far as replayability goes, Carcassonne has it in spades. With the 72 tiles being mixed up each time, the game is always different. As with Catan, there are expansions and add-ons, both large and small. Most add more tiles, some add more tokens. I have every expansion that I can find. I have some that were not released in full production stateside that I had to buy off the internet. I will review some of these later in the episode. The base game, though, in and of itself has enough replayability built into it, and those extras only add to it. Component quality. The tiles are all a nice thick chipboard. They're very durable, as my 7-year-old game can attest. The meeple are all painted wood, and they show no signs of wear, though I did have some stickers on them that have worn off. Those are the only components for the game. Tiles, meeple, and a scoreboard. The artwork. As with my Catan, my Carcassonne's an older edition. The newest edition changed the artwork for the first time in years, and maybe even ever. The tile layouts remain the same, the back of the tiles remain the same, which is nice, but the artwork is slightly different from the fronts. I prefer the original artwork, but probably because that's the one that I, you know, learned to play the game on and own all of. The new artwork is cute, nothing spectacular, the tile design and layouts are way more important than the artwork. Bang for the buck. The MSRP for Carcassonne is a poultry $34.99. That is insanely cheap for such a great game. You can find it at some Targets and Walmarts, but it should be a staple at any friendly local game shop. Now, I bought the Big Box 5th edition 7 years ago. They still make a Big Box version, which retails for $79.99. That may seem like a lot, but you get the base game and a handful of expansions that vary depending on what edition you buy. All of that in a box large enough to hold every expansion in it. All you have to do is take out the custom insert that's already in there made out of plastic, throw it away, and build yourself a custom one out of foam core. I did it. It's great. It holds all of Carcassonne with room to expand. It allowed me to discard all ten of the expansion boxes, making more room on my game shelf for more games. But if you're hesitant as to whether or not you'll like this game, feel free to just pick up the base game only. Other. Well, Carcassonne has been around for 20 years. It does not have the overabundance of things like Catan. Yet, if you count all things that feature the beloved Meeple on it, then there are thousands. There are Meeple cookie cutters, earrings, lapel pins, t-shirts with funny sayings, and so much more. The Meeple has grown to become an icon of gaming, outgrowing its humble beginnings as just the token in Carcassonne. Lunchtime Potential I think this really goes without saying, but it is a great lunchtime game. With its finite end, with the last tile being played, you don't have that stalling tactic trying to hold out hope for the win. The game time will adjust with the amount of people and the amount of expansions you're playing with, yet there should be no problem playing Carcassonne in under an hour, unless you play with multiple expansions and add-ons at the same time. This can convolute the scoring and the gameplay, and it could potentially make the game take longer than an hour. 
I think five or six is the most add-ons I've ever played with in one single game, and it took well over an hour, almost two. So keep it simple, and that will ensure that you'll be done in less than 60 minutes. I was introduced to this game by a co-worker at a past job. It was one of her favorite games. She and I would bring our lunch and go play two to three games in an empty conference room. Nobody else wanted to join us, but they were always hoping that I got beat. Such great co-workers. Alright, the expansions. I'm only going to cover the small expansions for Carcassonne in this episode. There are ten full expansions, and they're all fantastic. Well, nine are. The, the less said about the catapult, the better. I've already said too much about it. There's just too much content to cover in one episode. So I'll save those for a later episode. I will also only cover the mini expansions that I own. There's been a lot of content made for this fantastic game that has only been released in Germany. I have tracked down a few of them online because I use my time and money wisely, but there are many more out there that I cannot locate or I cannot justify the price of purchasing. However, I have recently come across a German website that carries most of what I am missing, if not all of what I am missing. So I might have to order from them here in the near future. Now, without further ado, let us delve into the expansions. It is also important to note that every expansion, well, most of them anyway, have a small shadowed symbol to identify it as part of an expansion and not part of the base game. For instance, the gold mines has a profile of a gold ingot in the lower corner. This helps you sort them out at the end of the game and for storage. First up, we have the flying machines. The flying machines are a great little addition to Carcassonne. The Meeple now have the ability to launch themselves into open features. This mini expansion adds eight new tiles and a custom wooden D6. The D6 features two sides, each of a one, two, and a three. This number is how many tiles your Meeple flies and where it lands. The active player places the tile following normal placement rules, but then you have a choice. Place the Meeple as normal, if possible. So if it has a road, you can just claim the road. Or, you can attempt to fly the meeple. I say attempt, because the die roll tells you how many tiles in the direction of the arrow on the tile that meeple launches. Farms do not count. So, if you roll and miss, because there's no tile there, he just crashes. I like to think of them as just falling off into a void. Anyway, if the meeple would land on a tile that has an open road, castle, or monastery, the meeple lands in it, even if it's claimed by another player, or the same player. It's a great way to fortify your position in a castle, or to catch back up. This can really be used to swing some points, and I like the risk associated with it. Some of the flying machine tiles feature roads that you can claim, but where's the fun in that? The fun is trying to find a spot and a rotation that gives you the opportunity to make a big play. Then, it's also fun to roll the die and hope for the right amount of pips to appear. There's nothing worse than finding out you just landed in a field that you can't do anything with and you've lost that meeple and that time. With only 8 tiles, this mini expansion does not add a lot of time to the game. Though time can be added in trying to maximize where to put the tile in its rotation. Word of the wise, no matter how many times you rotate the tile, it's not going to change. When we play at work, flying machines is typically added to the drawback. 
All right, second up is The Messengers. So The Messengers is not one of my favorite mini expansions. I do not play it often. I don't know why, I just don't like it. It's pretty simple though. You start the game with eight message tiles shuffled face down, and you place your new messenger meeple alongside your regular scoring meeple on the scoreboard. Then, whenever you score something, you choose whether to move your messenger or your meeple. If you're the active player and you end your turn with either of your scoring tokens on a dark space, also known as multiples of five, you get a message. The top tile is flipped over and you can either score it for the two points or use the message. The message can be things like points for the shortest road you're on, the smallest city you're in, two points per banner in all your cities. The one that is super valuable is the score a feature where you have majority. This could potentially get you a meeple back that would otherwise be trapped and lost for the rest of the game. At the end of the game, before final scoring, you simply add the two values together, advance your regular meeple, and then finish the scoring as usual. I guess it is just not as exciting as the other mini expansions. Well, that and it can potentially be game-breaking or at least undo a lot of hard work that people have worked on, like trapping other people's meeples and stuff. It could also be that there's only eight tiles and they just rotate through. I can't really put my finger on it, but I just really do not care for this at all. Third, the fairies. Boats, not fae. Okay, so I'm going to get this out of the way right now. I love this expansion. Fairies also adds eight new tiles. Each one features a standard road tee, but where they would connect, instead there's a lake. And you have to place one of the eight supplied fairies, which just look like wooden roads from Catan, to connect two ends of the roads. Then, whenever one of the ends of the roads that connects back to the ferry is extended, you can shift the boat to connect the different ends. This can end or reopen roads. If it ends one, then it's scored and the meeples return to the owner. It could connect you to a longer road that was previously claimed, but now you, through clever play, as the rulebook likes to say, are part of that road. Any time a ferry is rotated and moved, it creates an end for the road it leaves. If the other end is complete, then the road is complete. This makes roads much more valuable. You can move the ferry in your opponent's road, then extend it on a later turn, open it back up to yourself, creating a gigantic highway. With only eight new tiles, the gameplay remains under the 60-minute mark. The Gold Mines. The Gold Mines come with some of my favorite new additions. 16 gold ingots. Just add the eight tiles into the draw bag, set the ingots off to the side, and you're ready to go. When a tile comes up with a gold ingot, Place it following normal rules. Then, place a gold ingot on it in any tile that it touches, even diagonally, but it cannot be placed in a space with no tile. When any feature on a tile containing a gold ingot is complete, the player who scores the feature gets all the gold on all the tiles containing that feature. So if you score a road that goes over five tiles, and three of those tiles have gold ingots, you collect all three of them. This is a fun way to augment your scoring. When the game ends, ingots are scored based on how many you have. The more you have, the more they are worth. They can really swing a score, so you need to be aware of how many your fellow players have. This adds very little, if any, time due to the eight tiles, but can add a lot of fun, a lot of strategy, and a lot of screaming at each other over who claims what. Mage and Witch. 
Oh man, the Mage and Witch. They are a fun addition to the world of Carcassonne. One adds points to a closed city or road, and the other divides the score in half. Rounding up, of course. The Mage and Witch are new pawns for placing, and it comes with eight new tiles. Just shuffle these tiles in with the draw bag as usual, and let's keep going. When one of these eight tiles is drawn out of the bag, it is placed as normal, and the active player must now either choose to move or place one of the magic pawns. They must be moved into an incomplete city or road. When the corresponding feature is then completed, it is scored as I mentioned above. When it's scored, the magic pawn is put off to the side until it is summoned again. I love this mini expansion, as I do most of these smaller ones. It adds a bunch of new strategy and point scoring augmentation. This one has a good and bad scoring mechanic, which adds a new depth as you try to put the witch into a big feature then close it on your opponent for half its value. The Robbers. Robbers is interesting. There's only eight new tiles and a robber token. The eight tiles are shuffled into the base game drawbag as normal. When one comes out, the active player places their robber meeple on the scoreboard next to someone else's scoring meeple. Then everyone else follows suit, choosing where to place theirs. Then, when that meeple, that player, scores a feature, the robber scores half the points. The scoring meeple still scores all the points, like normal. I think that's my problem with this expansion. If I'm robbing you, why do you still get all the points? This does add a little bit of strategy, but it could have added more. For example, if I'm about to score a big castle and you're going to rob me of half my points and I'm only going to get half, then I would go score something else. But since I'm still going to get all my points, do I really care about you getting half? No. The gap between us remains the same if you're behind me and if you're ahead of me, I still gain ground. I just don't think that the math makes sense in this expansion. Corn Circles Each of the above mini expansions that I've been talking about come with a bonus tile. And if you collect all six of them, you make a seventh mini expansion, Crop Circles. I bought the big box version of Carcassonne and it came with all seven of these already in the box. When a Crop Circle tile is drawn, it gives the player two options. The first option is add a second follower of the same type indicated on the tile. Or secondly, remove a follower of that type. This sounds a bit confusing, but it's very strategic. There are three types of Corn Circles. Farmer, Knight, and Thief. There are two per type. For example, if the player places a tile that features a farmer symbol on it, and that player chooses to add a follower of that type, everyone that has a farmer in play must, if they have a meeple in their supply, add a farmer to the game. If the player chooses to remove a follower, everyone with a farmer in play must take one of their farmers off the field. This can get ugly, which of course makes it fun. With only six additional tiles, virtually no time is added. So that completes the seven mini expansions. And I have to say, if you put two or three of these in your game, you will not exceed the 60 minute mark. All right, let's look at a different one. This one is known as Published in Games Quarterly Magazine Issue Number 11. I just refer to these as the 11. These 11 tiles are just new mixes that are not in the base game. There are a lot of new weird combinations of roads and castles, and there's a lot of combinations that aren't in the original base game. My favorite new one 
the all-field tile. No roads, no castles, no monasteries. Just field. It is horrible to draw. But it can, however, be huge if you're in the middle of a farm war. The set of 11 tiles makes it harder to strand meeple as more combinations have now been covered. To be honest, I used a dark green sharpie and drew an 11 to identify these in the base game set as they did not have a symbol in their corner otherwise. To be honest though, these are just shuffled in my base game all the time. If I'm playing with a purist, which rarely happens, I remove them as they come up. The Phantom. This is the most recent add-on that I have purchased. I have only played it once, but I really like it. This add-on comes with a new acrylic meeple of each color and no tiles. It is the first expansion to offer no new tiles. You can place this phantom follower on a second feature of a tile if you claim a different one with your first real meeple. For instance, you could claim the monastery with your first meeple, but stand on the road of the same tile with your phantom follower. Clearly this adds very little playtime, but as with most of these smaller expansions, it can change your strategy immensely. I had a lot of fun with this one. Also, my copy only came with the German rules included, but the seller who I bought it from off eBay was nice enough to print out the English translation and fold it up in the package. Thank you, Mr. eBay seller. Well, that does it for the smaller expansions that I have. There are plenty more out there, and I'm sure that once I have some more money and time, I will be purchasing them straight off that German website that I found. It's hard for me to say what my second favorite game is behind Catan, but Carcassonne is a strong contender. I love its ease of play. I love its finite conclusion. I love the meeple. I love expansions. This game has it all. I have played this game the second most of all my games, only behind Catan. But I've also had a second longest. I've had a lot of success and fun times in bridge building with Carcassonne. It's accessible to new players, People that already know it love to play it. It's an all-around great game and a great way to build bridges. You can follow me on Facebook. Feel free to email me at eatlunchandboardgame at gmail.com with any suggestions of games I should be playing. And until next time, keep building those bridges. Average Joe's Gaming is a weekly podcast brought to you by us. I'm Joe. I'm Tom. We talk about all things game-related. In this hour-long podcast, you'll discover what has arrived in the game room, which Funko Pop Tom just could not resist, and maybe, if you're lucky, we might get around to talking about games. Might. Tune in weekly. You can find us on all of your favorite podcast formats. When you're gaming, why not be comfy? Go over to supportplayer.org. Click on the cards, pieces, and dice to get some merch. These t-shirts are some of the most comfortable I have ever worn. That's supportplayer.org, and there's a link on eatlunchandboardgame.com.